Well, here we are. Another episode. What is this? Episode eight now? Jeez, I, I, I've stopped keeping track. I, I lost track after episode four. So, I mean, anything after that is just kind of bonus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it all go, it becomes a blur. I mean, like once a week when we first started, it sounded like, wow, that's that's pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go, oh, that's not that big of a deal. And then it just becomes something that just blurs past. You're like, oh, we're doing another week already? I yeah. feel like I, I feel like we just recorded the last one, to be honest. Yeah, and I think it's probably because of my erratic and insane work schedule, where we it's not a, a it's not an exact seven days every time we record, so it seems even more kind of fly by the seat of our pants. Like we typically decide on when we're going to record the podcast, either the day before or the day of. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, we're not sense. we're not on the calendar. <laughs> yeah, considering what both of our calendars look like, it's it seems like that's the only way it'd be possible for us to even do this, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's kind of weird, I will say, with this um, boom arm that I've added. It is kind of strange because now the microphone is dead in front of my face at all times. I'm literally looking through it to see the screen. Huh, that's funny. I, I imagine in a few weeks it might get to the point where you've got some kind of back harness and you're just wearing it on your back all the time. <laughs> Well, I think what's good about this is I um, it's very apparent in the last episode that I turned my head a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just because the microphone was not as present. So uh, I would forget and become unaware that the microphone was still there. So maybe having this in front of my face as a constant reminder. Plus, I'm sitting perfectly the way you're supposed to in my chair. So I don't imagine moving much. Sure. In other words, I'm ready to roll. Yeah, there's there's a part of me that thinks that this is going to be at least at least from the subject matter perspective and from what's been going on in the last week of my life that this is going to be kind of a weird one. <laughs> they're uh, all weird, I'd think. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all weird, and I guess it's nice that they're all weird in their own way. So they're all at least unique. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I've I've got a I'm in a really strange state of mind, man. <laughs> well, you just got off the phone with AT and T, so I can't imagine that was a a good time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, it also made me realize that, you know, I'm making life decisions with all of my bills. You know what I mean? Um, and the other side of that is just, you know, um, clicking OK on the uh, the invite to, to Sarah's moving party um, and then watching a bunch of other friends who have moved out of the area make the choices they've made. Like, there's a really strong part of me that's had the intention of moving away from the Bay Area for some time. Um, and just watching this this procession of people that we care about leave the city just because of how expensive it's gotten is starting to really get me thinking about the possibility of, of, of leaving the area. Um, not because I want to, but because at some point I'm just priced out, you know what I mean? And I don't want to make life decisions at a gas pump or at a restaurant. You know, I want to I want to be able to live comfortably, and that's tough around here. Yeah, it's a strange a strange decision to have to make where I think it's coming it's coming from at least two directions because I definitely feel um, similarly, um, I, I believe it's coming from the direction of, first of all, everybody's leaving. So you're like, well, if I stay here, am I going to be the only one that's left? And sure. then what am I going to do? But then there's also the side of you that's like, oh, moving. 
and going somewhere else and starting in you know, like the whole idea of like starting new, which is exciting, but also very scary. Sure. But moving somewhere where you already know people like, is that really starting fresh? There's so much complexity to the decision. Sure. And I, I mean, I've gone through it. I, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, a lot of our friends are moving to Portland. I have a few that are moving to Washington. Yeah. I don't know that either of those states are for me. That's like not enough sunshine. I agree. I I am like today. It's it rained earlier. Now it's kind of now it's kind of cloudy bright, and uh, I'm not happy. I'm not a happy camper. I am a solar powered human being. I'm not. Yeah. It's funny because you know Crystal has the same thing. Like she definitely does have. You know I didn't really believe in the whole uh, season seasonal affective disorder thing. Um, you know, until I really kind of got a chance to see my cousin and Crystal go through it, um, in the sense that like when the sun goes away, certain people just get really just more sad. I mean, it's just a general way of being, you know what I mean? Yeah. And my experience with it is, um, the sadness comes from it. It's essentially what happens to your body. So your body becomes slower. Your body is less reactive. It's less raring to go. And of course that affects your psychological state i've gotten to a point where i don't let it affect me too much Mm -hmm. but it definitely makes doing anything anything difficult yesterday and today i've had a very difficult time vlogging because um there's not enough sun so my brain's not working sure Uh, i'm pumping some coffee in right now hoping that i can muster up enough energy for this podcast to be interesting (laughs) Do you find yourself to be? Oh, I think I think it's funny because the ones where we end up saying that in the beginning are the ones that typically end up being the most interesting podcast. Um, it's like the break a break a leg thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, do you find yourself, and maybe this is just me and 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 the whole sluggishness thing that you're talking about, but I find myself to being much more introspective um, and much more nostalgic during the winter during the winter months. Do you find that to be the same for you as well? Absolutely. I used to um, write in notebooks when I was in. My uh, like freshman year of college, I have like a bunch of notebooks from then, and multiple times is written that the clouds are full of ghosts. Uh, and and it, yeah, it feels like the cloudy days are full of the past. It's full of and not necessarily in a bad way, but nostalgia is the right word. Yeah, I mean, I I feel I feel almost haunted by by the cold. You know what I mean? Um, whenever whenever I definitely feel that that sensation of ghost that you're talking about just lingering in the clouds like there's there's definitely a part of me that feels uh, 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 that the world is more ominous when when the sun is not out um, and maybe that's that's built into our biology you know maybe we're we're creatures of our biology more than we realize but there's definitely a sense of dreariness that that becomes all-inclusive um, when the sun goes away it's weird I definitely think there's a biological aspect to it but I also question whether to some degree, there's a sociocultural um, cause behind it. You know, like we've grown up watching movies and TV shows where what day does a funeral happen in every cliched movie? A rainy day. Sure. You know, all, all, of, these, all of these associations are fed into us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I wonder where the barrier between those two, like how much of it is physical and how much of it is training propaganda whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. it's funny because it, it it brings it 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 weirdly segues into to one of the books i wanted to talk about this week um which is kind of one of the more um it's it's a book called the strain by guillermo del toro and chuck hogan and it's about 
uh, vampires, but it's a very interesting twist on how vampires became what they were. Um, and so there's there's definitely there's definitely a through line in the book that kind of tells us that we've always kind of known that vampires were they what they were. So we're afraid of certain things because it's built into our bi- our biology. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. I think it got converted into a pretty bad TV show um, just recently. But the book itself is pretty interesting. It's not the most well written book in the world, but conceptually, I think it's really interesting, um, especially considering that. You know the 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 medium of vampires is so oversaturated with with both very very good and very very bad. Um, to hear someone actually pull off a new twist in it is pretty fascinating. Yeah, you're reminding me of something, and I can't place what it is, which is unfortunate. But there's another either book or it had to be a book um, where the idea of something being associ- those associations being born into us because of I think it I think it was about devils though, not vampires. It sure. may have been um it it may have been Arthur C. Clarke's um childhood's end. Mm. But um because the aliens in that look like devils and they had come at a previous time in in human history, so the associations were created. It's hard to to remember to be honest. But I love that idea of uh something being introduced to humankind at such a developmental stage mm-hmm. that we've you know, lost the association with it and we're only stuck with the emotional implications of it, because I think that's true in many, many aspects. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I mean, how how do you think how do you think our, our our sense of mortality is affected by that? Like, I mean, I find myself, and maybe I know it's because it's partially because I'm getting older, but you know, as of the last couple of months, I've been thinking about my 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 life and my death actually more specifically um, more often than than I feel like I I would um, at an earlier age a lot of that too is because a lot of our our heroes are dying like the 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 fact that prince is dead now is just brutal to me on so many levels like we lost prince and bowie all within you know uh, the same calendar year and that's just terrifying it's it's ridiculous like to i mean you think about all the people not even just musicians i mean we lost lou reed as well a few years ago um all these iconic people um lemmy from motorhead who whether you liked his music or not was mm-hmm. a persona that um, everyone was familiar with. But you look at all the people that are going, and it's pretty much everybody that was considered a god mm-hmm. when we were growing up. Sure. And then at the same time, conceptualize the fact that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger are still <laughs> alive. Yeah, seriously. It's, they, it's insane to me. <laughs> they filled that spot that these people who are dying now filled for us. They filled that for the generation before us. Jeez. And yeah, they're I, still here. <laughs> part of me thinks that those guys are just immortal. I mean, you know, um, I don't know. It's it's tough because I, I, I look at a guy like, I, you know, like Alan Rickman, for example, who who is also a part of that cadre of people who have left us, um, you know, or Robin Williams. And, you know, I wonder, I, I think to myself in previous generations how 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 people saw their heroes die and just kind of lost a little bit of faith in the universe. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm starting to... I have that feeling this year. Um, you know, so many of my my heroes, and 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 this is not in passing. Like a lot of people, like you know, a lot of people who who quote unquote mourn the death of Bowie didn't know anything about Bowie, didn't know anything about Robin Williams, didn't know anything about um, you know um, Rickman or any of these other guys. But I mean, I, I these guys are definitely actually heroes to me. So to see them go is just very strange, you know. And I think um, our generation perhaps more than any generation before 
is dealing with it on a level that um, no one has had to before. Because you think about um, people growing up in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, the list of their heroes was considerably smaller because there wasn't uh, mass culture wasn't mass culture yet. It was just culture. Um, so when somebody would die, it wouldn't happen as frequently as it happens for us because we have access to so many people and so many people have the ability to influence our lives. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to, they're going to, they're going to drop. They're just going to drop because of the sheer numbers. It's a, a statistical fact. Sure. And uh, it it makes it makes me horrified to to think about. I'm, I never would have guessed that Bowie was going to die, but he was sixty nine years old. So it's not out of the realm of of strain. I mean, of usual. Mm-hmm. But Prince dying at fifty seven is is very strange. Well, um, not only that, but he was one of the fittest humans on earth. So I mean, if he can go, we we. Wasn't <laughs> we he? Also- uh, wasn't he a Seventh Day Adventist or something? He didn't. Um, I can't remember what his practice was. He was. He was um, very strict. A very strict regimen of what he put in his body and what he didn't. Yeah. Um, but has has there been any news as to what killed him yet? I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. Um, basically, beyond the, the the headlines that I caught yesterday, I've just been so neck deep in in work that I haven't really had a chance to to look at the details. Um, I mean, I guess, and there's also a certain part of me, like even with Robin Williams or or, or David Bowie, um, I didn't really look into it. I mean, it, it was just the fact that they were gone. You know, how they were, how how they left the world, wasn't really that much of a concern to me. So I just didn't find out. You know, I still don't know. I, I still don't exactly know why Robin Williams died. You know what I mean? I think the thing about uh, Prince that's a little bit different to me, and I don't mean this in a cold way, but um, just a matter of fact way it's going to affect me less than the other ones not because i had any uh less respect for prince or uh, i liked him any less than the others but because prince was a fairly reclusive personality sure um so him not being around i will notice less that he's not around because even when he was around i didn't hear much about him sure um whereas somebody like robin williams i mean obviously there's a almost a daily reminder that he's not with us because he was such an active actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in so many films, so many great films. So maybe that's a consolation almost. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, the last thing I read was that um, about the Prince thing was that it was flu-like symptoms. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, apparently he'd been struggling with uh, some form of pneumonia. Um, and, you know, and this, this is, you know, pure speculation on the Internet's part. But um, the early word was that he didn't listen to his doctors enough and continued to perform anyway. And it just got progressively worse. So I, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think um, I'm reminded of Brittany Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um, I don't I, I might be wrong here. So. Forgive me, anybody who knows the exact details, but if I remember correctly, um, she died of complications of, I want to say it was diabetes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something that was expected. She was healthy in, in almost every way, but something about uh, her body just gave out. Mm-hmm. And in, to me, going back to your initial question about mortality, not that um, I wanted this to be such a, a morose episode where we dig into death 
completely. But the truth is, there is no indication. <laughs> when the, most of us aren't aren't lucky enough to have an indication of when we go, or even worse, when people we care about go. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take that and answer your question about mortality and my thoughts about it, the more I think about death, the more I think about life. Sure. The more I want to do every day, the more I want to achieve. Because in reality, I, I was thinking about this the other day, maybe not so much in a mortality sense, but in a time um, a time sense, I think about um, seeing people's children, people, my friends' children, my um, my sister's children, my nephews and my nieces, um, and realizing how old they are mm-hmm. and realizing how little I see them, how little I've interacted with them. Some of them I've only met once. Um, and it's not out of a lack of care for them. It's, it's really a, a poor understanding of how time passes. Um, and I see some children, I, I go, wow, they're already, you know, like 10 or something like that. And I think to myself, like, that was something I was, I wanted to get around to, like being around them and getting to know them. Um, but time goes by so fast. And I think that's why even more so because of the time warp, I guess you would say, you have to appreciate everything. And that is mortality more than anything is time. Sure. I mean, it's it, not like I want to continue on this, this road down the, the morose, but I mean, it, one, of the, the most, one of the most heartfelt vlogs that I'd seen of yours um, was one of the recent ones that you did. Um, and it was talking about um, not, just, not just about the, 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 the lack of your grandfather um, you know, in your life uh, in a current form, but also his weird presence in a lot of ways because you're surrounded by so many things that were either his or that he spent a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. So I mean, how how does how does that fit into your your framework of mortality? I think that um, in reality, the the human animal, its key component is adaptability. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, you can say why we have become what we have to where we're these monstrous things destroying the environment. Um, and dominating the world over all of their animals is because of our adaptability. And I think about that in the context of, yes, um, I have all these associations with my grandfather in this house, but then I also, I don't. Um, Time has gone by so much that you build new associations on top of those. And sometimes you have to dig to find those associations. And I think that's, um, that's built into us. Um, that's how we, you know, uh, one of the things that people always tell people through the mourning process is, you know, the stereotype of, or not stereotype, the cliche of time heals all wounds. Mm-hmm. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time buries all wounds. Sure. Um, they never go away, but they get buried under the desire to continue living. Sure. And we build new associations on that because that's what we're meant to do. That's how we live. You don't see animals um, weeping over the loss of another animal. I mean, they, they there's been cases like with blackbirds that they say that blackbirds have funerals um, when, when another bird dies, um, which sounds ridiculous, but all they mean by that term is that the birds gather and, mm-hmm. and seem to mourn. But then it's gone after that. It's let go. They move forward. They you know, And they don't have the introspection that we do. 
So I think to some degree, our introspection <laughs> is our curse. Sure. But it also allows us a, a, a sense of, of, of history that um, allows for things like technological advancement and, and, and the development of culture and things like that. So, I mean, in, in, in most instances, this being one very clear representation of that, most of the time your biggest strength is also your biggest weakness, you know? Exactly. And I, and I, I feel like within the, the scope of what we're talking about, the ability to introspect gives us history, you know, gives us language, um, gives us creativity and the ability to, to philosophize about the world that we live in and have a sense of self-awareness that most most animals in the animal kingdom can't can't conceive of, you know. Well, it's, yeah, and it's all tied to language. Actually, there's a there's an argument that says that um, the, the ability to have introspection is because we have language without language, we would not be able to do so. Sure. Um, and I believe that because um, I don't think in abstractions. I think in words. Mm -hmm. Sure. So without those words, how would I think it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of technology, <laughs> tell me about uh, the Internet, man. What was going on and what did they do to help you out? Well, they still haven't solved the problem yet. Um, now they're thinking it might be not the router, not the modem. Um, it was kind of like your premier problem where... They basically had to real-time troubleshoot and do the same exact things that I had just done. Um, but they had to do it in real-time so that they could see the effects of it um, on the back end, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it was decided that it wasn't my hardware at all, wasn't a configuration thing, wasn't any of the stuff that I told them wasn't the problem, uh, <laughs> that it might physically be the line itself. So now we've got to do it the hard way and have somebody physically come out and take a look at it. So we'll see. It still hasn't been solved. My connection still kind of sucks. It's intermittent, and half our devices get kicked off half the time. But, you know. I hate to say it, but it might just be because it's AT&T. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a definite possibility of that, too. Um, and, I mean, it sucks because because of where my neighborhood is, um, the Comcast connection isn't great because we're so far away from the trunk. So mm -hmm. I literally have no good option if it, if it actually is AT&T. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean... I mean, even AT&T is not really a competitor to Comcast even. So, like, once you go past the two of them, mm -hmm. all you have, what do you have? Verizon. And Verizon is not anything that anybody talks about as far as home networks. Sure. Their, their cell phone network is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's time you start hoping that they lay down some Google Fiber close to you. Yeah, I would love to have that. I mean, that's uh, just I, I, at this point, I just want something that works. I mean, I'm... I'm going back to the the many conversations that you and my you and I have had both on the podcast and otherwise about how I just want my technology to work. I don't even care if it's that fast. I just want it to be up all the time, and I want it to do what it needed to do when I needed to do it. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, the struggle the struggle is real, man. You know what I think it is too. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about it as well, and I think to a certain degree, um, the reason we get so frustrated with technology is because we've been promised so much. Sure. And when you get promised so much and then, I mean, in, in all honesty, we get delivered a lot. But sure. then when it doesn't deliver, all those promises just feel brittle. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I forget what was it in popular science. I forget the, the, where the article was, but it was an article where where it was talking about. I think that the, the, the title of the article was Where's My Flying Car? You know what I mean? <laughs> um. And I mean, yeah, sure, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that we've been promised has come true, and plenty of the stuff we didn't ask for has happened, too, as well. But, you know, I just think overall, like, we, 
there's so much potential, there's so much promise, and I, you know, in, in a conversation I was having with, um, with a friend recently, you know, we were talking about how, you know, 20 years from now, the world is going to be so incredibly different from how we even conceive of it today, that, you know, um, whatever direction technology takes from the point where we're standing um, is going to be something that is almost impossible to anticipate, but I'm still at the point where, where there's the promise of all these things that have just not happened yet. Like, why is my internet connection still not, not consistent? I don't understand, you know? Right. Yeah, my, my question always used to be like, uh, it's changed recently, I would say, but I always used to ask them, like, as far as we come in technology, how come we can't build a router that doesn't need to be reset every two days? Yeah, because exactly. it was like fifty in like fifteen year bubble there where you're like, whoa, the internet's so fast, but this thing crashes all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, man, it's just it it drives me nuts when I think about it. To be honest, you still you have an Apple Watch, right? Yeah. How do you how do you feel about that thing? It's overrated. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it has potential, but I don't think that the potential is realized in this product, in in this version of the product. Sure. Um. It's come. I mean, I've come to a point where I don't even know how to answer that question anymore. Um, I, when I wear it, I kind of use it, <laughs> and and when I forget, you know, I mean, I I don't forget that I'm after so many years of carrying a cell phone in my pocket and getting used to looking at monitors and cell phones in my pocket to see what time it is. Yeah. Whether I have a time telling device on my wrist or not is not something I think about anymore. Sure. And it's just a relocation of that habit. So trying to build that back into the habit and then remembering to put it on and it goes back to your sometimes things are more trouble than they're worth. Um, I, I can imagine that someday it will be a very, very valuable device. It's not. It's it's an auxiliary device now. It's, it's a perk. Um, and it's not even a great perk. It's a very small perk. Sure. And I think... Um, What's funny is you you were talking about like the development of how things are going to change in the next 20 years. And I'm staring at the bookshelf in front of me and Ray Kurtzfeld's uh, The Singularity is Near is staring at me. <laughs> but there's a, it occurred to me while you were saying that there's something that um, Kurtzfeld and, and a lot of the other futurists don't take into account. In um, the, the essential theory is so we have the curve, the the incline of innovation goes at what some scientists refer to it as going at a, a regular pace, but they're measuring um, based on the pace of the past, right? Sure. The thing about technology is as you create new technologies, it increases the ability to create new technologies. Sure. So as you, if you create a faster computer, you can create a faster computer because you have that other faster computer to mm. design it with. So your, sure. your tools are improving your ability, but there is, um, and the, the singularity idea is that um, technology will advance to such a, a rapid pace that it will almost become an up and down mm -hmm. in, instead of a an incline. But it, there's one thing in there that I don't think that they take into account, and that is we as human beings are not able to change that fast. Sure. So at a certain point, and I think we are starting to see much of that now, things develop so fast that people will not buy them because it's it's too much. And I think we're going to see, we might see a lot of that backlash with virtual reality because people still have not embraced 3D. 
So to, to be like, here's 3D. Oh, never mind. Here's the new thing. And somebody, you know, people are going to start throwing their hands in there. They already are. But there's just certain levels of development where it's like, I don't I don't have time to, to adapt to this. So sure. I'm not going to buy it. And when people don't buy it, we don't get the technology. Well, I think I think it goes back to, you know, we were talking about this a little bit last week, too, um, or the week before about how, you know, um, especially on 3D platforms, making them work in such a way that, that the common business user would be able to adapt it into a business environment. But I also think that there's a certain sense of that for, for the standard civilian, too, as well, where um, I, I don't necessarily think it's about adapting to it. I think it's about the right company coming out with the right interface that is simple enough that we're not figuring it out. Like, you know, the, the basically the, the iPhone equivalent of 3D, if that makes any sense. So that it's not it, there's not a steep learning curve, and I think that's that, that's the only way that 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 a populate you know a population that's that's grounded in a certain type of interface can grow beyond that interface is if we're given it if we're given it in such a way that it's so simple that we can grasp it without having to to figure out a completely different way of thinking. You know, I agree, but to a certain extent, I also think that there's more to it in the sense that we're not only looking at. Um, the consumer base adapting we need markets to adapt we need creators to adapt sure um there's a lot to learn in how to, just in cinematography what what virtual reality is going to do is decimate um cinematography as we know it cinematography is a, a singular point you know where you're saying this is what you see this is the way you see it i'm controlling that when you have virtual reality you that's gone because now you have to film everything and the thought of of rethinking that you're you're looking at not de- redeveloping a whole industry, but you're literally looking at firebombing the past one, <laughs> and and trying to build in the crater. Uh, and I think that there's a. It's not even an ease of use issue, it's a channel capacity issue, to where we cannot adapt even as easy as you make it. For example, Siri. Yeah, Siri's stupid. She makes mistakes all the time. But even if she worked perfectly, I probably still wouldn't use her that often. Because I don't have the time to retrain myself to do things by voice that I'm used to doing with my thumb. Which which goes back to this watch thing. I don't have the time to train myself to to look at my wrist for the time. It it just I it, it requires an effort that I don't I don't have the capacity for that effort because I'm putting effort in so many other things in my life and I, I know everybody else is the same way well i think i think to a large extent too it's not just about um whether or not you can adapt to that certain thing but i also think it's about how how what type of interface you prefer with the world um it's like learning in different ways you know some people are visual learners some people are tactile learners well i think that the interface thing is 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 it is it, some of that needs to be taken into account for the interface too as well because for me for example I'm the same as you um, in the sense that there's just a certain tactile feel that I'm used to and I prefer you know but I know um, you know two of our friends um, well one of one of them is my friend I don't think you know the other guy but my friend Brian as well as our, our friend Ali um, used the use Siri in ways that I've never even conceived of and they've gotten so used to to that type of interface and they prefer that type of interface over ever having to open up their their phone screens and tap around on icons you know and i guess for a guy like ali that makes a lot of sense cuz he's a very social person by nature so it only makes sense that he's also social with his with his phone you know what i mean um but yeah it's interesting to see because yeah i agree with you for the most part but i've also seen people use 
um, Siri or any of these voice activated personal assistants in ways that are just astounding, you know? Right. I mean, it's like the people who love writing in Markdown. I'm like, I am not going to memorize oh, a whole yeah. new vocabulary <laughs> to write in Markdown. I'm sorry. I will just go into Microsoft Word and let Microsoft format my text for me. <laughs> sure. Totally. And and you're right. And I think that perhaps that's something that um, industries have not taken into account enough is um, we're not all going to want the same thing. We're not all going to need the same thing. We're all not going to use it the same way. Sure. So I, I think that that's, that's – um, even you can see it just in the difference between Android and, and iPhone. Mm-hmm. You know, or between Windows and and Macs, uh, those are subtle differences compared to what you're saying. But it's it's apparent. Sure. Um, I do things on my Windows machine, and I'm like, this is backwards. Sure, sure, sure. I have it. I you know I have both, and um, I prefer Mac. They're just the way things run and the way things work. It makes sense to me. Sure. And the things that, you know, people say I'm sacrificing in the ability to customize and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that stuff anyways. <laughs> and, most, and most people really shouldn't. I mean, if you look at a Windows machine, like I'm, I'm, I'm recording this from a Windows machine and I, you're recording it from a Mac, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I can imagine the differences in our interfaces. Like, it, I, sure, I can customize the heck out of my desktop and mess with my icons and do all kinds of stuff. But it's just... At the end of the day, like even for most PC users I use, and I, I live in a predominantly PC world, um, like with my parents and you know a good number of my relatives. Um, and to be real with you, once it's modified once, you never mess with it again. <laughs> so right. I don't know who's modifying their interface that much that they require one that has to be that open. You know what I mean? Like for the most part, you kind of set it up the way you want it, which most of the time, by the way, ends up looking like a Mac OS desktop anyway. <laughs> Um, and then, and then you just leave it for the next three years until that laptop explodes. You know what I mean? Well, I think the, I think the windows thing is like the hot rod, you know, like people want to build it from the, you know, the ground up and they want to, they want to soup it up and they want to give it a sweet paint job and all this stuff. Uh And then there's people that just want a Honda that's going to run for, (laughs) run forever that sometimes you don't have to worry about changing the oil on it. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just going to keep running and that's a Mac. And it's, yeah. it's two different things, and which is funny because I would have said at a certain point in my life, I was the hot rod person. I don't mean in computers, but I mean just personality. But now I'm like, I don't, I don't have time for that stuff. And to be honest with you, I was that person not too long ago. Even you know what I mean? I love the heck. I love that I could customize the heck out of my my Android phone. Like when I was, you know, there was a period of time where I had uh, an iPhone three and the Galaxy. I believe it was an S four at the time. Um, and I loved that I could modify the living crap out of that phone. Um, I also ended up getting a Galaxy tablet, um, and I also had a, an iPad mini, and I barely ever used my iPad mini because the, the tablet allowed me so many trinkety and neat modifications that I could never even dream of doing on, on an iOS device. You know what I mean? But right. I'm so sick of that now. Like, it's just boring and time-consuming. Like, I mean, and, and there's... And I think it was just the shiny new toy aspect of it, you know. Um, but ultimately, from a functionality standpoint, it's so much more trouble than it's worth. And then it goes back to the thing that we talked about um, previously, which is, you know, anytime there's an update on my Galaxy 10 tablet, for example, like I have to sit there and make all the modifications to the device all over again. I have to worry about compatibility with apps that do work or don't work. And 
all of that stuff is just I'm just over it. I'm just I'm over it. I don't want a hot rod anymore. And it's not that I just want a Honda or anything like that, but I, I want I want the the in between like a Tesla. You know what I mean? That has a bunch <laughs> of really rad features, um, but I but features that I don't have to mess with in order for them to work properly. You know what I mean? I'm I'm getting to the point where. I don't even care about features anymore. You know, like <laughs> I, I've been thinking about this a lot, like and specifically going back to what we were talking about last week with OneNote versus Evernote and then Apple Notes and more and more Apple Notes. The simplicity of it just becomes appealing because it's, you know, all of the features are so nice to have. Right. And and yeah. OneNote is a hot rod. It's a, it's a hot rod. But at a certain point, when you really get down to it, and I really look at my use cases. Mm-hmm. How often do I use those features? Not very often. I mean, like, yeah. and, and in reality, what what do I really need from a note-taking app? I need something that grabs my notes, that I can put notes in fast, and then has good search. That's yeah. it. I don't even need tags. I don't need any of that stuff. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go through the process of actually switching to Apple Notes because I'm tired of switching applications. Um but I think that there's just a, an inherent frustration with the idea of not a frustration. I'm frustrated with it. I think that everybody has an inherent addiction mm-hmm. to features. Sure. Um, and we get sold on things where, like, oh, look at this does this. Cool. I'm never going to use that. Like what was the... What, what did the Apple call it when you could switch um, between an app on your phone to a, an app on your desktop? Um, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Continuity, was that it? Something like that, I don't remember. Oh, no, continuity is the uh, the Windows phone thing. It was it was something that I used for all of five seconds, yeah. Handoff, that was hand, it, handoff. Hand yeah, yeah, yeah. Never used it once, ever. Yeah. Or like in the, in the you know, the, the message app, like, oh, you can now send pictures uh selfies and and voice things right from in here and like never did that either and i know that they're just trying to grab percentage of markets but it's it's like these features i mean i don't need them i i just need things like you said to work just give me give me the basics and i i'm I'm trying really hard to stop fooling myself and to stop telling myself what i need and actually pay attention to what i use Mm um for example Evernote, we were talking about last week. Like they need to make some major changes if they're going to survive, which is kind of sad when you think about it because their product as it stands is a very good product. Sure. It's a very good application. You and I used it um, extensively for a period of time. Um, But they just like I just got on Twitter. It's like, oh, new after I complained about the Windows app, they're like new Windows app um, for Evernote available with it says something like major changes or something like that. Yeah. And then I looked at it. No, they didn't change that much. <laughs> they changed like the sidebar and like a couple other things. And I'm, and in my mind, I'm going, are they really like this dumb? Like, are they really tanking their company this hard that they know how much people need and they're, and they're going to just wait really long periods of time and then just spit out tiny little updates like this? Or are they really squirreling away to drop the bomb later? And is that a good strategy? What -hmm. do you think? I mean, like, if you were them, what would you be doing? I mean, that's tough because 
I, I, I keep thinking back to it depends on who you, it depends on on where they're they're whether they think they'll survive. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because every company, at least on some level, um, you you would make the assumption that every company thinks that they're going to survive somehow. But I think for a company like Evernote, it might be time to start looking to sell to somebody um, that can integrate into an OS. You know what I mean? Um, like whether it's the Mac OS or, you know, um, Google's version of it or, 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 or Windows. I mean, there's, I think without true OS integration, and I'm talking about to the point where you don't have to have it as a separate software application, any app that, that, that is too complex is just going to fail. You know what I mean? Uh, regardless right. of how good it might be, just because there are too many obstacles to functionality. Um, and I think Evernote, regardless of how good it ends up being, always creates a second layer um, that I don't want to have as a user in order to make it useful to me. You know what I mean? Right, like the whole tags thing. Yeah. It's just exactly. I, mean, I I I was I was a person who tagged everything and then I realized I'm like I have 800 tags in here and I never use them because the search is good. What do you need a tag for when search is good? Yeah. Like I need a I need a I think I the example I used before with tags was fishing. I don't know why I pulled fishing out. I've never fished in my life. But uh <laughs> let's go with that. I need to find all the notes on fishing. Well, if I type the word in fish, the fish type the word fish in or the word fishing in I'm going to find all the notes on that. Why do I need to tag them? Yeah. And, and I think and yeah. I think that that's that's where that's where god I I can't see a company like Evernote surviving. And I can't see from from their perspective how they could come up with a feature set that's complex or or simple enough or integrated enough that that a user would switch from something like Apple Notes or 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 OneNote um you know, as as a viable secondary option. Now, I'll put it to you this way: even if it were a better um, choice than OneNote, it would have to be so significantly better that I would be willing to add that level of, of work into my workflow in order to just use it. You know, and right now, I don't think I've, I, I don't think they're even close to that. I don't. I'm not even sure if that's possible against a, a program like OneNote because it does most of what you need it to do all the time. You know what I mean? And I would say that they've kind of screwed themselves in the sense that um they've moved past the window where anybody's going to want to buy them yeah, yeah. Um, who's going to want to buy them apple is not going to buy them because apple doesn't want to make their notes app complex they sure. want to keep it simple yeah. so all of the complexity that evernote offers which is a lot of features of a lot of very useful features apple doesn't want them mm -hmm. um, unless they're going to start making business products okay they could make an you know an apple business notes that would be an um mildly interesting endeavor but sure. i don't think they're going to do that google's not going to do it because google is I'll, actually i'll come back to google i want to end with them um one note maybe one note might buy it just because one note does everything uh -huh. so they might buy them just to go oh we'll take the you know the five features you have that we don't but i doubt it Sure. They've put so much research and and I mean scientific research into OneNote. They have people, they have scientists, um, like uh, Abigail Sellen, um, studying how to how to make this thing better. You know, it's it's not market research that it, that they're doing. They're actually doing scientific research, which is why it's so complex and it has so many different things because they're trying to do so much with it. Sure. Um, but going back to Google, Google Keep. I, I think that in the long run, even though I am a big fan of OneNote, and to a degree I'm a big fan of Evernote, 
I think that uh, Google Keep's going to be the one that wins in the long run. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, for example, I don't know if you saw this. Um, they released two new features to Google Keep this week, which are pretty big features. Um, they introduced hashtag um, tagging. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you need to group certain notes together, exactly what we were just talking about that I would never use. But some people really need that and really want that. Mm-hmm. So they just dropped that feature. So now they just open themselves up to a whole market share that they didn't have before. Sure. And then they just created a Chrome extension that allows you to save, you know, to clip things from um, either text or web pages, just like the Evernote Web Clipper, the OneNote Web Clipper. Um, Apple still hasn't done this yet, which is interesting. Um, but I think the reason that Google is going to win in the long run is because Google's doing things from the opposite angle that everyone else is doing. Everyone else has built a full-featured um, actually not Apple. Everyone, yeah, <laughs> Evernote and OneNote has, has built a, they've both built a full featured client with, um, you know, integration throughout itself. Mm-hmm. Google started out with the most basic of things. Like here's a post-it. I mean, there was like no features to Google keep at first mm-hmm. and then, okay, well you can group things by the color of the notes. That's how you group them. Oh, now you can create different groups like work and business and stuff like that. And they just keep adding. Okay, now you can add to do's to it. And they just keep adding features. And and what they're doing is they're adding these features in a way that um, they're building it from the ground so that sure. everything, when it works, it works well together. So instead of having to worry about introducing a new feature and integrating it, they're, they're building the house with a foundation. And... They've done a really good job of moving Google Drive and Gmail and all of their services, the calendar, all that, to work really hard to have all those integrated in a way that nobody else is doing. It's yeah. still not there, but because that's their aim, I can imagine that you'll get to a point with where Google Keep is what you live in. Mm-hmm. And, okay, here I need to, this is a reminder. Boom. Now it's a reminder. Well, it's a reminder at Google Keep, but it also shows up in your reminders app. And if it has a date, it also shows up in your calendar. And you've got an email. You email, okay, send that email over to Google Keep or send it over to your reminders app. You can, all that integration is what's going to win them the battle in the long run, I think. Because that's what we want this stuff to do. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks, though, that, that, even with Google Keep, Google, for Google, failure or success is never about the quality of the product. Most of the things they that they make are always usually pretty solid. Like I, I think about how how much I live in Google Docs these days um, versus using um, you know Office or anything like that. Um, but I still think that there's a certain sense of OS integration that that will hurt them. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know. Do you, how do you feel about that? Like do you think that 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 not being integrated directly into an OS is, is just going to make it difficult for them to, to, to continually try to fight for a foothold within the, the, that space? It, de- it depends on how these devices end up adapting and growing. Um, as things are now, I don't have a problem. I, I don't use Safari on my iPhone. I use Chrome. Sure. Um, the reason I use Chrome on it is not because I think it's better than Safari or worse. I use it because I have a Mac and I have a Windows machine. So Chrome is the only thing that I can use universally across all three apps without having to worry about, 
oh, does this browser have the password for this or does this one have it? And, sure. you know, like just that simple thing. Um, I, what are the Google, I mean, obviously I use both of the YouTube apps, but there's no real integration there involved. Um, Gmail. And I, I used to use the inbox app. I, I really liked that app. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that would be an interesting topic that I think um, we should go into right now while we're in this. Um, going going with with the theme of what you're saying, like uh, OS integration or not OS integration. Obviously, as we know from last week, none of our no, nothing's integrated in the way that we want it. Sure. But as things stand now, like what what apps? on your phone are the most useful to you? Wow, that's tough. Um, you know, I do a lot of, well, I mean, there's there's the stuff that we use for the podcast. So I've got, you know, OneNote and Spotify. I actually still have Evernote on my front page out of a weird sense of nostalgia for some reason. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a part of me that really wants to use it because I remember how much I liked it, but it's just not useful in my current life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have the SoundCloud app for us as well. Um, I have quite a few things um, that are related to my current job. So I've got, you know, um, some back-end integration stuff. Um, but I also use the Facebook apps quite a bit. Um, when like, you say apps, which which apps? What, what do you mean? Uh, other than the main Facebook app, you pluralized it. Oh, 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 I got you. Okay. Um, yeah, there's separate ones. Like, I mean, there's the Pages app, which allows you to, you know, kind of track what's going on in your various pages. There's the Facebook Ads app. Um which is, you know, um, for stat tracking when it comes to how ads are running uh, with the businesses that Crystal and I are working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's Messenger as well, which I actually still kind of hate. I think it's a dumb app and it's annoying, but it's the only thing that I've got access to on my phone that allows me to use Facebook Messenger. <laughs> you know, like that, that is definitely one that is um, a, a monopoly app in the sense that I only use it because I, I have absolutely no other choice. You know, it's funny. My, my feeling on the Messenger app, I barely ever use it. But every time I use it, I love how easy it is. Really? Yeah, I, I like it way better than the message than the iPhone message app. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I just I just wish that it didn't take me out of Facebook in order to use it. So I find myself going back and forth between Facebook and Messenger constantly. Yeah, uh, and that's annoying. I mean, at least now they that, jump. I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I at least yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, like. It's that's very specific and from I, I guess that's not fair of me to say about the Facebook Messenger app. The app itself is actually pretty straightforward and pretty easy to use. I just don't like how much I jump back and forth between the two. Yeah, you know the one thing that drives me nuts about it, and I might have to take a screenshot of my home my my home screen so that people can see this. But it, if you don't know what the icon on the Facebook Messenger app is, it's a white square with a blue circle with a, a little white thing inside of it. I have it inside of a folder. And it's the middle icon inside of a folder. So the iPhone, for those of you on Android, the iPhone folders are a 3 by 3 square of icons that are miniaturized. So it's the exact middle square. Right next to that, I have a folder full of six apps. And in the middle of that folder is a white square with a blue circle and a white thing in the middle of it, which is the Apple Remote app. And I open the Apple Remote app, I'd say, oh, 50% 50% of the time that I accidentally mean to open the Facebook Messenger app. Jeez. I mean, when you see these two icons, it's obvious that Facebook stole the whole icon design from the Apple remote app because it is nearly identical. 
<laughs> I mean, all they did was they, instead of it being a circle, it's technically a little speech bubble. And instead of being the little play triangle, it's like some, what is that, a tilde? Like a, um, what email app do you use? Um, I was using, God, was it, what was it, Box for a while? Um, but I've I've gone back to the 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 the, the default app on on the iPhone just because I'm just I'm just tired of dealing with non non OS integrated apps. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the big one it was the one that you recommended to me. I forget what the name of it was. A box was that the oh, one? I went through a bunch. There was Box. There was uh, Spark. There was Airmail. Polymail. Yeah, yeah. I used I used I used. Box. Um, I used Spark briefly. Box in its later iterations just became progressively worse, and yes. I had and, and I had syncing issues. So at some point, it just became unusable. So I yeah. just stopped using it altogether, which is unfortunate because it was such a good email client. <laughs> they were the Cadillac for a while. They really were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been using Spark. Yeah. I like I like Spark. Um, when it comes down to it, the main feature, the main reason I can't, the two reasons I can't use the email app within the iPhone is that swipe to the side mm-hmm. is really, really done poorly Yeah, because I end up clicking the wrong thing almost every time when I do that. It's, sure. it's just not a, the, the animation is not sturdy on it. There's something, it's either too fast. Um, Google used to do that a lot with their apps. Like the, the Google maps app used to just be like the animations were too fast where I couldn't even navigate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't like that there's no snooze feature. I need snooze for email. Yeah, I hear you. That is possibly the most important thing because I, as much as I would love to be able to, like, oh, kick this email over to um, Todoist and, all, you know, that's great. But none of those integrations are down to where you want them to be. Um, a lot of these um, task management apps offer the ability to do that. But then when you get over there... It's either a poorly formatted text version of your email or it's a link that doesn't open on your phone and only opens on your desktop. It's just not there. So to me, yeah. snoozing it, that's making it a to-do. And that's that I can't when I, like right now I have a nine on my email app and that drives me nuts. I'm an inbox zero person. Mm, I and get it. If if something's super important, I leave it in there. So if I look down and there's a one, I'm like Okay, I remember. I remember. It's like string on the finger. Sure. But uh, I don't know. Let me see other apps that I think are important. Oh, well, yeah. What podcast app do you use? Um, I've literally tried them all. Right now, I think my favorite is SoundCloud, um, even though it's not officially a podcasting app per se. Um, but it, I just, I don't know, man. I have a love affair with SoundCloud. I just think they have such a good interface. And to be honest with you, that's the reason why I don't use um, Spark more than I probably should. Like, I remember really, really liking Spark, but the, the interface was just really boring to me. It was just kind of ugly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and sure, it probably functions really well, um, but it's just it's just really, really boring. <laughs> There's not much to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, the SoundCloud SoundCloud's player is beautiful always yeah, like it's really cool looking yeah I, I like the way it looks the problem i have with that app though is it's obviously it's more for the consumer than it is for the creator sure so i we, i can't look in there and see how many followers we have and i can't look in there and see how many play i, I can see what, how many plays we've had but i can't see like if we get comments i wouldn't be able to see the comments and that's frustrating sure and then i also what really drives me nuts about that app 
is I hate that after um, I play something that I want, it tells me what it's going to play next. Yeah. I don't want it to do that. And, you know, I'll, like, I'll listen to... I don't listen to much on there. Usually I just check make sure the sound of our own podcast sounds good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it gets to the end, and then all of a sudden it starts playing some song by somebody I've never, never heard of. And I've got to find my phone and turn it off, and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, to, to be real with you, the one I... I for a pure podcast, I mean, other than the the iOS integrated one, um, I still like Stitcher um, the best um, because it reminds me. I know this is going to sound weird, but it reminds me of RDO um, in its interface. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of looks that way, and I really, really liked RDO. So for me, that's 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 kind of the direction I ended up going um, when it came to a pure podcasting app. Even though for me these days, I just don't. I don't. I probably don't care as much as I should uh, when it comes to which podcasting app. So I, I typically use the native one. I'm a huge fan of Overcast. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I haven't. I've seen it, but I've never used it before. It's beautiful. Um, and it's simple. Uh, plus, I love the. I'm. I'm not a person who listens to things at, at one time speed. I usually listen to things about 1.7 times speed. Mm-hmm. You know, like the. I think the. If I remember correctly, the integrated podcast app allows you to go one 1.5 or 2.0 yeah. 1.5 is too slow for me 2.0 is wave too fast yeah um 1.7 is like optimal and the overcast app has a slider so you can get the speed you, you want you know some people talk to and you can tell it save the setting for this podcast but like when i want to check our podcast and make sure that i don't listen to our podcast at 1.7 speed I listen to it at normal speed to make sure we didn't screw up. <laughs> sure, sure, and sure. it'll remember that and say, "Okay, every time you play this podcast, you want to hear it at one point five or one point oh speed." And then there's, you know, if you're the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the feature, but they have a feature on their smart speed mm-hmm. where it'll hear it'll hear gaps and it'll cut those out for you, and you won't even notice. Yeah, I wonder how it does that. I'm actually really curious about that. I don't know, but it works fantastic. I mean, I've never, I've never heard it clip anything, and I, I mean, I can't verify that it's actually doing it, but I would assume it is. It seems it must, like it. You know, it must parse the file ahead of time and have almost like a buffer where, um, it, it it's just tracking the wave file for any silent moments. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I guess I could ask the guy on Twitter. He's um the guy who the designer he's um very very public he like he answers questions he's always looking to improve like if you have a problem he -hmm. hits you back right away tries to help you solve a problem i mean he's just the kind of developer that you want um so yeah i think that for me that's the whole package but i don't think i i think that if we had asked each other this question two years ago Mm-hmm. We probably would have had an extensive list of must-have apps. I don't think I have a lot of must-have apps anymore. I yeah. have apps I use a lot, but I don't know what's must-have. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I keep going back and forth with TweetBot and the Twitter app. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that the Twitter app does, like, oh, yeah, cool. I can. I don't really take polls that often, but if I wanted to, I could. Sure. But the thing that frustrated me about the Twitter app was every time I opened it, it would try to jump me to the top of my my stream instead of sticking where I left it, and that pisses me off more than anything. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess Spark, Todoist, and probably YouTube Creator Studio. Those, oh, those are my three must-haves. Oh, and Overcast, of course. Oh, yeah. actually, simple. 
my bank app. It's probably my favorite app on my phone. Which one is it? Is it I'm it's using Mint lately. It's called Simple. It's actually a bank. <laughs> it's actually a bank, and it's um, it's fantastic. I mean, they're an amazing bank. Um, if they're somehow listening, we would love for you guys to sponsor this podcast because I support what you guys do. I'd love you to support us. <laughs> huh. um, it's just, I don't know. Um, I don't want to go into a lot of detail because it's hard to explain it on a visual, to explain the visualness of the, the app um, in a radio type format. But if you go to, I think it's, it's simple.com and just kind of look at it, you'll kind of get the idea. But what's cool is without going into all the stuff that the bank does that I like, just the app itself it works almost like a social media feed of your of your transactions mm. so i just pop into the app every once in a while and just look at things go cool okay everything's solid the moment i spend anything with my debit card i get a notification instantly so oh. and it happens to me while i'm in the store so I, no one can ever spend anything on my card without me ever knowing um the app is just it's so straightforward and then i can add notes i can add pictures um, I can add hashtags to any transaction. So like, for example, anything that's tax deductible, I hashtag it with taxes, you know, and then the year. So for example, this year I'm doing hashtag taxes 2016. I get to the end of the year. I search hashtag 2016. I have everything I need for my taxes ready to roll. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's, it's amazing. So th- just like the simplicity of that, I would say that that is my favorite app on my phone. It is it is a perfect example of someone figuring out how to do things in a way that nobody else had done them before, but doing it in the way that people like me need it. How long have you been using it for? Um, over a year, almost two years, probably. Nice. And to clarify, I left all the big banks to go to this bank. I, I was with Bank of America, and I got tired of paying $12 a month for giving them my money. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I ditched Bank of America, and, and these guys are an online-only bank. They don't have any branches. Um, there's certain things that I can't do. Like, I can't deposit cash. It's mm-hmm. just not possible. Um, I can deposit checks right through the app. And to be honest, I don't deposit cash ever. If somebody gives me cash, I just give it to somebody else and say, can you write me a check? Boom. Done. Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense. Um, but that, that's happened twice in the whole time that I've had this bank. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I don't know. I just, I think that that, that has no integration within my, within my phone. Going back to your original point, it has no integration, but it just works perfect for me. See, and that's, that's also an example of an app that works well. Like it has, to me, it almost, it, it has to be almost a, a, an app that, that no one else has a solution for, um, or, or, or solves a problem that no one else has solved. Um, you know, um, because the moment you have OS integration with an app that even competes even close to what you're, you're doing with yours, you're, you're instantly dead. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I feel like simple is a great example of the, the other side of that equation, which is no one else has anything as good or as simple as simple. Um, and so because of that, they just, it's worth the extra step. You know what I mean? And it's, it's funny to me that, um, all these other banks have, I mean, they've been kind of glomming on a little bit. So where mm-hmm. there's certain features, you know, like it took 
apps like Simple, and I, I don't know who else was. There was a group of them that all these new banks that came out that were offering deposit through your phone. It took like a year and a half for the big guys to go, oh, people want that? Okay. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's, they just care so little that they're just like slots, you know, like, oh, okay, maybe we should do that. Well, I mean, it's it's what we always talk about when it comes to, to you know, the two inherent problems with large companies, right? Uh, number one is in order to move in any direction, the machinery is so vast and so complex that you need to move so far in advance that it just, you know, maybe Bank of America thought about doing this two years ago, but they just couldn't spin up the, the development time quickly enough in order to achieve it, you know what I mean? Um, and the other side is just pure hubris. I mean... They're a multi-billion-dollar company, so I mean they they don't have a whole lot of they don't have a whole lot of motivation, at least in their current situation, to innovate, and that's that's why companies like Simple can come along and 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 kick some serious ass and take you know a good a good foothold in in the market because they are they are hungry, you know they do want to innovate, they do want to provide a service that no one else um, no one else does or no one does as well, um, and so I think that that. Companies like Simple help to push that edge of innovation faster and faster. Um, and they're, yeah, they're a great example. I mean, I'd love to see other companies in different spaces do the same thing. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I, I think when I think of big banks, you know what I think of, Lamb? Mm. I think of a big, fat, bloated <laughs> vampire that looks exactly like Marilyn Manson does right now. Just mm -hmm. stuffed full of blood. Ugh. I'm so gorged on people's money that I don't care. And they just they they fart pennies. <laughs> and at some point, the thrill of innovation or success ha has has become so dull to them that that it is no longer a motivating factor as to why they're in business. Yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. And and that's what I, that's what I love about companies like this. And I don't want to keep harping on one specific company, but there are a lot of companies that do things like this. Um, within the app, there's there's a messaging thing within the app. I get a response within a day from an actual person. I called them on the phone one per one time. I talked to an actual person, and it wasn't like, yes, sir, well, we'll, we'll look into that problem. Please let me read um, page three of this script to you. No, it was a guy answered the phone. He's all, uh, what can I do for you? Like, just like that. I'm like, oh, okay, but I told him what my problem is. He's all, oh, dude, let me check that out. Huh. <laughs> like, I'm quoting him almost exactly. It was just talking to a normal person. He's like, oh, yeah, he's like, and it wasn't like he was just so off and so casual that he didn't know what he was doing. He got me my answer in like less than a minute, but he was just very casual and very comfortable. Like, hey, I like my job. Huh. And there's a lot of companies that are offering that, you know, for, for a while there, I feel like that's what, um, what Uber was doing. But now I kind of get the, I'm starting to get the creepy corporate monster feel from Uber. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I tend to take Lyft more often, but I think that they'll probably end up the same way too. Yeah, the last two times I've taken a car service of any kind like that, it's been Lyft. I'm, yeah, Uber just, it's lost its flair to me. Um, on many levels, it just doesn't feel like the same service it was when it came out, so that's tough. Yeah, they lost that, um, I don't want to say it, but I can't think of another way to say it. They lost that hippie granola Oregon you know, community feel to it. Like, Hey, we're making something cool and we just, we like people. Yeah. And they just had something about it. They started feeling like money grubbers to me. And I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. 
and I might be wrong, but that's the feeling I get. And yeah. the new logo is awful. Oh yeah, I don't like that. I don't understand. <laughs> it's like a, ro- I, a robot's butthole. Yeah, that's bad news. Why? How did that make it through so many people in marketing and sales? Like, someone at some point must have just said, "Dude, this looks terrible." I don't. I don't get it. Like, it's not even like okay. So it's a circle with a slit in it, but the slit's going to the left. So it's like a it's like a dyslexic C. Yeah. Like, shouldn't they at least put the slit on the top so it looked like some deformed U? Yeah, I mean, but but to be real with you, there's a lot of bad design in this world, so that's not all that surprising. <laughs> Which is funny, just, as you say that, I'm looking at the Skillshare icon, and I'm like, that's awful, too. Yeah, the yeah. The blue there's and a, the red hand. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of bad design out there, dude. I mean, that's 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 something that, that I've kind of... It's kind of like that, that whole ignoring sound in the world for me. Like, at some point, I just... I didn't want to be mad anymore, so I just stopped looking at design um, in the world and just accepted the fact that just most most people don't really have much of a design sense. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it just makes me laugh to a certain degree. I mean, whatever, it's their thing. Um, hey, let's do our. We're at we're at like one ten. Let's do our. Uh, what are you reading? What do you you know? Meet our media section. You I, go... I feel like I feel like I'm where I'm I'm this week. I'm where you were last week in the sense that I've just been so busy the last five days that I haven't really had a chance to read much um, or watch much or listen to much. Um, I will say, though, that I, I do have little morsels of amazing in that, um, one of which is the Worst Case Scenario um, Survival Handbook for Travel. I think um, I own that. It is hilarious. I, and it, it's strangely useful, too. Um, and so that one's the one I've been because you know it comes in like two page chunks that I can read before I go to sleep or in between like nine other things, you know it tells you how to like survive from uh, jumping out of a moving uh, train, you know what to do if you're abducted by aliens, you know um, how That's to tail it, how to tail a thief, which I thought was a really good one. <laughs> That's so you. That book is so you. Yeah, it totally is. I love this book. Man. <laughs> Lamb is I, a secret spy. Nobody knows. Dude, those dude, are you are you done with Night of the Gun yet? Uh, to be fu- to be to be funny that's an interesting way to say that um to be <laughs> honest it's funny i finished 15 minutes before we started this podcast that's funny did you get the payoff that you wanted um no uh i w- i would say that um as far as a a junky drunky memoir um it had a mildly surprising level of complexity near the end in that it goes a lot into relapse which a lot of um a lot of books like that ignore you know mm-hmm. they just create the simple arc um his his doesn't end with a you know a simple flatness there's a rumble with uh, there's come a little there's pebbles on the road at the end let's say or stones maybe not pebbles um but overall i still feel the same way where i'm like cool it was well written. He seems like a cool dude. Seems like he had great taste in music. He re- he mentioned the magnetic fields, and the replacements. So that's mm-hmm. aces in my book. Nice. But uh, overall, like the idea of a memoir in general, maybe maybe even not a recovery memoir. Maybe memoirs in general just bore me. Sure. Uh, and I was thinking about that because. It actually bothers me that um, I feel that way because I do believe to a certain degree um, everybody if everybody told their story and they told it true 
that uh, we're all so unique that uh, that should be that should be art, you know, like that. There's enough difference there that um, it wouldn't be cliched because you're being true to yourself. Sure. And so me saying that is like a contradiction of that belief almost. And it's not that I think this is cliched. It's just it's it's less exciting because I've been through it. I, I don't mean personally myself, but I mean, I've been through it and I've read books like this before. And it does it does take something out of it. And it's unfortunate, especially considering the ones that I read before were probably not as good as this one. Sure. So, you know, I, I had like little little monsters destroying destroying this before i could even get to the like the great one or possibly the great one so i don't know i don't i don't really know what to say about that <laughs> and except that i feel crappy about it well i suppose that there's a yeah and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that too like there's there's a period of time where where i kind of just was curious about memoir so i went through quite a few of them and you're right. Like, I mean, there's a certain sense of over relatability, I guess, um, is the easiest way to put it. Where, like, it's like, I love my friends, but I wouldn't want to hear three life stories in a row. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, just because there's there's a certain sense of 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 of, of doldrum or monotony that comes along with hearing uh, about the minutia that creates who you are as a person. Just give me the highlights. You know what I mean? Um, and sure, memoirs are meant to do that to a certain extent, but I feel like if you if you have for me as a, a reader slash writer, um, I think it's about what wave I'm into at that particular time, like whether I'm into history or nonfiction or fiction or memoirs or poetry. I feel like I have phases and I feel like if I read the wrong thing at the wrong time, I won't give it as much of a chance as I would have if I had been in another phase um, or if I was receptive to it in a different way. Absolutely. So, and I feel like, especially with memoirs, there's a very particular mood that I have to be in to, to grasp a memoir properly without just being bored by it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that the, uh, there's a distinct difference between a memoir and an autobiography. Sure. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it feels like things that are autobiographical, you know, autobiographies or biographies in general, there's a structural difference. Sure. I, I don't know, but it seems like almost a memoir is whinier. Yeah. Oh no, totally. And, and well, and and by, because by nature memoirs are more typically about one struggle or one conflict or one moment of overcoming a hardship or something like that, right? As opposed right. to autobiographies, which are basically anthologies of a person's life. It's like the discography, your greatest hits. You know what I mean? Very good distinction there. Yeah, you clarified that for me really well, because that makes total sense now that I think about it. Yeah, because that, maybe that's what's boring about the memoir. Like, oh, let me guess, things were going okay, and then something happened, and it was bad, and then you overcame it. It's like reading a really, really well-written, assigned high school essay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a, it's a five-paragraph essay. Yeah, in, in 47 pages. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's, that, that is what it is. It's, it's the stereotypical story arc. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just... And and regardless of how complex or well written or flowery or beautiful it might be written, the structure is so predictable and boring that it just makes you want to vomit. <laughs> and you know what it reminds me of too? It's and and I haven't thought about this until right now because of your clarification. Um, when I was younger, I was under the you know like under the influence of Kerouac, highly um, under the influence of Bukowski and Hunter S. Thompson, who all to some degree. Um, 
one could almost make the argument that they were memoirists, except that yeah. they didn't really, um, they didn't have struggles in, sure. the, in the sense that, they, that that wasn't the key of the book. Um, you know, there would be like a, a spiritual trouble for a Kerouac or something like that, but he wouldn't always resolve it. Um, sure. But they were digging into their own lives. Everything that they did was semi-autobiographical. Some people would argue that it was biographical, but as we know, there's no such thing as purely biographical. Mm-hmm. Um, everything they did was rooted in their own lives. Um, they talked about the, the main characters of their books were themselves, um, their real selves. Yeah. And I was under the influence of that. And I think I didn't understand the distinction between the two. And I think that I was on my way to becoming a really horrible memoirist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like the, all the self self pitying poetry that teenagers write. Oh. Imagine that as prose. Oh, jeez. You know, and I think that, that, um, I was under the impression that maybe a lot of these people who write memoirs are, I have a story and it needs to be told. no, that's not true. Not everybody's story needs to be told. <laughs> yeah, and I mean to be to be real with you too. I mean that's that's the one word that I I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who wanted to get into writing, um, and she asked me, you know, like what what my my feeling was on all of these different types of writing, you know, whether it was short stories or poetry or whatever it was. And the one word that came to mind um, when she asked me what I thought of memoirs was just self indulgent. That's just what it feels like. You know, what it I mean? is. It, it by definition, I think it is self indulgence, right? Yeah, oh, totally. Complete self-indulgence, though, to the point where there's almost no objectivity to it at all. You know what I mean? And I think that because my background is more in journalistic writing, um, I feel like without objectivity, I, 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 you lose me. You know what I mean? And, and I feel like a lot of people are like that, too. Like, you know, it's, I, it, it's about making a story relatable and not making it so completely one-sided or subjective that you have no entry points. Um, like I, I, your your life just isn't that important to me. Make it matter to me, or or don't tell me. You know what I mean. And I think that maybe that's a good good distinction too. I think that the problem with a lot of memoirs is they're self indulgent, in that they're self important, that they're mm-hmm. all self centered. Yeah. Where, whereas a a good autobiography or a good story, um, that may be something from your life. The reason those are good is because the focus is the story. Sure. Not about yeah. I'm trying to express something to myself. I'm not, you know, they're not trying to prove something to themselves. And I feel like um, maybe to a certain degree that that's kind of what David Carr was doing. Maybe that's why it bothers me is there's a certain he's looking for redemption. Yeah. Or he was. He's dead now. Um, but he and there's that there's a yearning for that redemption, which is what makes it good. And also what makes it self-indulgent at times, because sure. there's. Um, there's a, a weird balance there, but I think that perhaps if I hadn't read so many self-pitying things that I would have been able to see more of the genuineness of what he was doing here. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like just from your history, like especially with Bukowski, I mean, reading enough Bukowski makes you never want to touch a memoir ever again. <laughs> right. Also makes you never want to picture that man naked. Oh, dude. Well, thanks for that one. I wasn't There's some foul poetry in, in some of those books, and I'm like, you yeah. are just... And I'm looking at his face right now, because his face is on my desk. Jeez. So now you're <laughs> looking at his face, and you're picturing his naked body. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible. Jeez. New Jeez. subject. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, um, you know what? I'm finishing up, and I, I think it's funny. I'm going to talk about this two weeks in a row, because it's not good. 
but I think that the, it's so not good that it's important to talk about, which is Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I don't know that I ever paid attention to it when I was younger, which is probably why I've been so fascinated to finish it and watch it because I'm actually paying attention and I'm actually watching what they're doing from a a writer's perspective, creative person's perspective. Wow. How was this show successful? It has the worst continuity in any show I've ever seen in my life. One episode, two people are dating. The next episode, they're totally not dating. Episode after that, they're dating again. But there's no explanation. There's no continuity in the storyline. You know, it, it, they have a dad. They don't have a dad. They were from this city. Now they're not from this city. Like, there was absolutely no concern. It's like they, it's like they made this show and they're like, it's all right, just morons are watching it. You know. <laughs> And I think that's probably the assumption too, as well. You know, I mean, it, it it's akin to me to a lot of the the Disney shows that followed that had even worse continuity, like the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody or any of those other shows. You know what I mean? Where there's just there's there's no there are no rules in that universe. You know what I mean? It's so it's so difficult to watch from like that perspective. From a I'm I'm laughing because it's so awful perspective. Mm-hmm. It's kind of addicting. But it's it's just baffling to me, you know, because if I were to tell somebody, you know, if I were to give somebody advice, I would give them advice not to do what the show did because I would think it would you would be complete failure. Yet this show was huge. Sure, sure. And I mean, it's it's really. I mean, there's a whole season. I don't know if you know this, Lamb. There's a whole season where you never even see them in school. No, no, I did not know that. <laughs> like half of it, they're on a beach, like in in Malibu. And and then the other half of it is like, oh, they're in the mall today. Oh, they're in they're they're at this person's house. They never go to the school for the whole season. You never see the principal, even though he's in the credits. It's very you, weird continuity things. Do you think that was because they were trying to do something different and they were starting to lose lose ground a little bit, so they did like a summer vacation episode or something? I don't want to admit this, but I did read up a little bit on it on Wikipedia just because wow. <laughs> the continuity errors were driving me so nuts that I had to see. I'm like, we're like, I was wondering, I'm like, are people just like, were the writers bailing and then they bring in another dude? Like, what was going on? And the only thing I could really find, you'd think that there would be a ton of information on this. Um, the final season, apparently Elizabeth Berkeley and Tiffany Amber Thyssen um, both refused to sign like a changed contract so they're like not even in half of the last season because they weren't on contract so they brought in another girl and they just didn't explain why the other two weren't there i haven't got there to watch it yet but i'm wondering if that's kind of what was going on is they were just having contractual problems um because like there's a whole episode um with without elizabeth berkeley there's a whole episode where everybody else is in it she's not in it and nobody mentions why she's not in it that's weird. And I'm like, maybe she was like striking that day. Like, I'm not working. And this is not a show like Hill Street Blues or Homicide where it's like, oh, they just weren't in the storyline that week. Or like Game of Thrones. They're not in the story this season. This uh-huh. was a show where all of them were in every episode. So for somebody not to be there is strange. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird, to, it's weird because something like that would never fly in a show these days. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. And it's it's weird. It's I know it's strange to be talking about Saved by the Bell on a show like this, but it really is. It's just baffling to me, and I think that there's a lot to learn from watching horrible things too. 
<laughs> sure. And there, I mean, there are a lot of weird, grievous TV things. I forget. So, so back to to Lost again. Let's let's talk about Lost for a second and how pissed off I am the second time through. <laughs> uh, like just the open-ended statements that, and I know that Lost is not the only show to do this, but geez, they seem like it seems like they do it a lot, where you cut to commercial break, but right before you do, you make some kind of weird cryptic statement that seems really dramatic like it's overly cryptic and overly dramatic um like um you know so what do you think we should do today and then you know the main character turns around and says i think we're gonna save the world today and no one questions what the hell that person just said like what what do you mean dude like what what do you mean? Are, are we gonna get off the island are you gonna build a boat what what does that mean you know what they, I mean? they all knew that it was just commercial time yeah, exactly. And that's that's so obnoxious to me. Like, you know, like I hate those the, in movies. I hate it even worse where evil characters or even good characters make these cryptic, dramatic statements that seem to have absolutely no no logical sense to them. And no one calls them on it. You know what I mean? You know what like, drives me nuts, too, is the, speaking of the commercial thing, when they do something before mm -hmm. the commercial, but when they come back, they've filmed it differently. And that's not what happened. <laughs> like you see, you know, like somebody's like pushing somebody downstairs. Yeah. And then it goes to commercial and then they come back and then the, they never even push them down the stairs. And you're like, what, what did I dream that? Like, yeah, I remember I remember one clear, clear version of that in Growing Pains. I don't remember like I like Boner was in the living room and then he comes in through the front door. And I was like, what the what the heck? do you leave in between the commercial break? Like what happened? <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, no, I, I hate that stuff, man. It drives me crazy. Like I remember seeing that in a I forget some action movie where, um, you know, one of the bad guys says, "You have two hours before I kill whatever," you know, and and the good guy just totally accepts it, doesn't say anything, doesn't you know. If it were me, I'd be like, okay, so what is it that you actually want me to do in these two hours to save this person's life? You know what I mean? Do you want me to go to a liquor store and talk to this one guy, get a certain amount of money? What is my task list, dude? Like, you can't just say some crap like that to me and expect that I'm going to know what you mean and that I'm just going to accept it wholeheartedly. You know what I mean? It drives me crazy. You know, you, that <laughs> reminds me also that the pilot episode of The Golden Girls, um, which I, I think everybody should watch if you can find it. Because um, there was an original a roommate that's completely cut from the show in the second episode without any mention of him oh. being gone. And he was a gay roommate. So oh. w way ahead of its time. And I think that maybe they stepped stepped ahead of um, of themselves to the point where they nobody wanted to back it. I think wow. that's probably what happened. But there's a weird segment there where exactly what we're talking about happens. Like something dramatic. He's standing there with all the girls. And it goes to commercial. And then when it comes back, all of the women are in the same place, but he's not there anymore. Well, Almost like he got fired during the commercial break. <laughs> I wonder if that's kind of a, a weird way to do a silent protest. You know what I mean? I, it was it, it was very surreal. I will tell you that much. Huh. That's really strange. I wish I could remember the movie, but it, it almost reminded me of there's a French film. Oh, God, I want to say it was. Um, it doesn't matter. I won't remember right now. <laughs> but there's a there's a French film and I'm watching the movie and it's a it's a black and white film, I believe. And I'm watching it and it took me about maybe a halfway through the movie. I felt like discombobulated the whole movie. But with a lot of like 60s French films, that's kind of the purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me about, I would say, halfway through the movie that realized that two different actresses were playing the lead. 
Oh, and oh. that they were switching between the two to screw with your head. But they looked similar enough that you didn't notice. But then when you once you noticed that it was two different women, your mind just exploded. Wow, that's crazy. Do you, do you have any idea what the name of the movie was? Not right now. I'm, uh, I can't. I'll try to. I'll try to look. Well, without wow, this it. week's show notes are going to look like. Um, there, we have so many references uh, in which you and I are just like I don't remember, <laughs> but I I remember what the effect was, but I have no idea what show, what movie, or what actor it was. Yeah, well, some people are gonna have to live with the fact that our show notes are never gonna be complete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I I feel like especially for something like that though, that's actually interesting enough that we should try to figure out what that one was. I'm sure that like if I dug in, I'm pretty sure it was a Godard film, so mm-hmm. that might help. Yeah, uh, I'll look yeah. at a list of it while we're talking. Um, tell me a little bit more about. You said you had some other gems that you wanted to mention. Oh, um, I know it's just musical artist. Let me let me take a look. Um, I I've been kind of just bored, senseless with my music lately. So I found in a, a halfway interesting artist. Her name is Lapsley, um, and she's she's pretty cool. Um, a little bit more on the the if any of you like Banks, um, she's kind of Banksish but with more piano. Um, so I, I've I've kind of been into somewhat ethereal female voices lately. Um, you just check out Flurry. I, why does that sound familiar to me? I have no idea. I think you might have told me about that at some point. Possible. You probably like her. Yeah. So yeah, I've been into that lately. Um, I still haven't gotten around to watching Daredevil season two. Have you done it yet? No, nope, not yet. I, I don't know why. I know I'm gonna love it. It's awful. <laughs> well, I, I I have a feeling that that it's the same for you as it is for me, and that like we're both so busy and so exhausted <laughs> that the emotional commitment required to watch Daredevil after experiencing season one is just too too intense for us to take right now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I just I, it it's yeah it's like uh, I can put on crappy Saved by the Bell. And it's fine if I'm not paying attention to it. Like sometimes I'm, I might be editing my vlog for the day with it in the background, and the TV and the monitor don't even face the same direction, so I'm literally just listening to it. Um, it's it's weird how once you start consistently doing something, whether it's something creative or just like working your butt off, um, how everything changes in your consumption. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand to a degree how new parents feel. They're like, oh, you know, because I feel like at a certain certain point, parents come out of the bubble, the child mm-hmm. bubble, and they're yeah. like, oh, my God, I need to remember who I am. Sure. Um, please, somebody talk to me about movies. Somebody talk to me about this um, because they're starved for it. Because they literally have not been able to find a way to do any of those things. Sure. Uh, and I, I, I feel like that a little bit with, with all the stuff that I'm juggling right now. And mm-hmm. like with Todoist, like now I'm on, a, I'm on a consistent contract with them, so I'll be writing for them twice a month. So now I'm even busier. Sure. I think I'm, I think I'm at my line, dude. I don't think I can fill any more into my life. Well, I mean, you've got the vlog, which is at least three or four hours of your life every day. Um, you've got the podcast, which is at least two hours of recording on one day and, and a total of 
four to six hours of miscellaneous work otherwise, you know what I mean? So, I mean, slowly but surely, your pie is just getting chopped into smaller and smaller sections. So when would you even have time? Like, it's it's funny because I, I'm happy if I'm somehow able to catch one episode of Lost tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and 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 there are, there are you know there are whole times where like I I'll forget and I, I you're right like it's you know after you feed the baby and you take it out to the park and stuff like that and you play with it I love how I'm referring to it as it um, <laughs> but like but you just forget oh sh- uh, you know I've got to I've got to look at Chad's vlog or I have to look at this video or I have to you know um, I have to watch the show that I totally forgot about and you're right like you completely forget about it you don't even yearn for it necessarily. You're just in the bubble so deep that you forget that these things are even in your life. You know what I mean? And you make a you remind me of something too. When I you know, like last week and this week when I've said, you know, I'm not I haven't been watching anything or reading anything, that's not completely true. Because I'm def- I'm keeping up on all my friends' vlogs. I have a oh, lot really? of um, huh. the YouTube community, vlogging community is amazing. Um, some of the dudes that, uh, which for some reason I say dudes, because for the most part, the vlogging, this is a horrible term by the way, but apparently what I do is called life casting. That makes me want to strangle whoever came up with that term. Wow. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it sounds like some really horrible feature of a product that you don't want. Um, yeah. <laughs> or a, a venereal disease. Um, <laughs> but, um, the people who vlog in a journal type format like I'm doing um, is it's mostly men for some reason, at least in my experience, I've been trying to find women that do it. Um, women seem more focused and less on this level. And maybe it's because um, it never occurred to me before, but maybe it's because it would be scary for a woman to share more of their life because it's more likely for them to get a crazy stalker. Um, uh, I, I don't know if that's true. It's just a, a guess right now, but the dudes that I've um, made friends with that are also doing vlogging, it's really cool. And I, I have, I, I keep up with their stuff. It inspires me. Um, my stuff is apparently inspiring them. So it's like a really nice little circle of inspiration there. And it's cool because it's nice to have somebody to talk to that understands what it is to do those things. True. So, so a good chunk of my consumption is keeping up with those. And you know, th- that could be anywhere between a half hour to an hour a day. And by the way, the movie I was talking about is um, the that obscure object of desire, nineteen seventy seven French film, directed by Louis Bunel. Bunel. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I can't think of the thing. I, and it's funny because I think, you know, with your vlog thing, for example, I feel like there's there's a certain aspect of that for me uh, in golf. I guess like, you know, I still follow golfers and stuff like that. And I, I keep track of tournaments and things, but I, I, I'm in need of that, cre- a creative version of that, you know, um, that one thing that regardless of how busy I get, I end up doing or following, you know, it's yeah, uh, finding the right like, pocket too. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not having that, not having that in my life makes me feel really weirdly empty or actually not even empty, but disconnected from the art world. You know what I mean? And not even that sounds dumb because I've never really felt like I was connected to the art world, but disconnected from creativity. You know what I mean? I feel like, uh, to be honest, sometimes the the vlog doesn't feel creative. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, and that's not to say that um, I feel anything empty in it. It just feels—I um, don't even know how to describe it. It just feels more. Uh, 
like something I do. Sure. Um, yesterday and today is taken. Well, yesterday and hopefully today has taken a lot more creativity in the sense that I've been digging deep to find out what to talk about. But on days where it just comes out, it doesn't. That doesn't feel like creativity. It just feels like cool. This is what I do. Um. So I would say, more than anything, I w- this um, podcast makes me feel more connected. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's weird because, you know, um, Crystal gets to see how isolated I feel from the world. Like, because I don't get to talk to many people about the kind of stuff that you and I talk about. You know what I mean? Um, when it comes to creativity or apps or, 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 or the media we're consuming or the direction of the world um, when it comes to creativity. Um, so there's, there's a certain part of me that, that, that needs this, um, in the sense that, you know, back when we first started, I just looked forwarded to it, um, forwarded, I just looked forward to it, you know what I mean? But I think it's gotten to the point where, where it's, it's such a necessary part of my week that I'm not sure what I'd do without it, you know what I mean? Right, and we, I mean, people don't know this, but we were afraid at first that maybe we wouldn't be able to keep it up. (laughs) <laughs> and now it's just it's just a piece that like it just happens like okay we got to do that i don't even i don't even think about it in the sense that like oh oh that's right i have to do the podcast it's just it's like brushing my teeth now yeah 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 we've reached the habit stage i believe and not only that but i feel like we were so at least i was worried about about not knowing what to talk to you about every week but i feel like we could just keep going like if we didn't if we didn't self impose a limit we would we could continue to talk for three more hours. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, we're already over an hour and a half right now. Yeah, exactly. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to go forward. I mean, I'm sure one day we'll have a podcast where all we talk about is pizza, but you know, it might have to happen. Yeah. But I think, I think that you, you hit on the point that, that, that defines it for me, not just with the, the, the podcast, but with just with creativity in general and something that's been an on-running theme in, 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 you describing your creative life is that if you do it for long enough, it becomes habit. And once it becomes habit, I feel like you you change the you you set the bar slightly higher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and every time something creative becomes habit, you set the bar just that little bit higher. You know what I mean? So as you continue to do creative things, like whether it's the vlog or the podcast or whatever next endeavor it is that you or I are going to take on, this has forcibly helped us to move that bar just a little bit more forward, not just in the creative sense, but also in the dedication sense. You know, this is something that requires our time, regardless of how busy you and I get, which at this point, both of our lives are just mind-numbingly busy, but we still make time to do this and we still make no excuses for ourselves for not producing this. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a lesson, not just for for creative people, but just people in general. Like, if you want to get good at things, or if you want to feel like you're fulfilled in the things that you're doing, you have to do them enough for them to become habit. And that at that point, you just raise the bar continually once you complete the next thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that um, it's almost like your life is bound by a rubber band, and we like to, you know, it's snug. But then you go, okay, let me shove this thing in, and then you shove that thing in, and the rubber band adjusts. And then you shove another thing in, and every time you you know you gotta let it settle, you gotta let it adjust. But it stretches way further than people realize, and they don't know the real limitations. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I had time to do all of this, and I do, and now I'm taking on more. I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still shocked that at the vlog. I remember 
you know the conversation that you and Brandon had, uh, or that you told the the conversation that you and Brandon had that you told me about, which was, you know, um, you're challenging him to do a project a day, you know, um, and and I feel like, in a weird sort of way, you've kind of defined that for all of us. Like I feel like I wouldn't be um, as ambitious or creative if if you weren't in my life, just because you kind of force action just by forcing action yourself. You know, you never push me. You never. You never. You never, you never do anything other than just continually produce. You know what I mean? I feel like that's that's weirdly inspirational, but not just inspirational. It's almost, it's almost a bad. It's, it's almost makes the rest of us look bad in that if we're going to consider ourselves artists, then we have to work at least half as hard as you do. You know what I mean? Which is funny because that's the way I'm looking at other people. Going, okay, <laughs> they have time for that. Okay, okay, I can do that. I can do that. And, and it goes back to exactly what we were talking about last week with Bhattacharya's and and. Um, idols and things like that it's um we we don't need someone to to worship like you know people do with celebrities all we need is somebody that's a friend that's doing something that makes us go i can do that sure and it it doesn't make them any more important like it doesn't make me any more important that i do these things Mm -hmm. it's just you can see that i can do it and you know i'm a normal dude and you're a normal dude and you could do it too sure sure and uh, that goes for everybody else out there. So, Lam, uh, how about we purposefully end this one? Why don't you give us a word of wisdom to end on? Well, I think you just gave it to us, which is, um, you know, whenever you feel like you're bogged down in your life, look around at the people that you know um, and, and, and find the person that's doing something that you feel like they shouldn't have any real reasonable amount of time to do. Um, and if you don't have any person like that in your life, then you might need to find a person like that in your life. <laughs>